Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Megan and I have the great privilege of being part of the preaching team here at Alice Springs Baptist Church. This morning we're continuing on in a series we've been doing throughout this year on the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but I have been loving this series and the revelations that we've been receiving about the Kingdom of God and about how Jesus explains that and unpacks that and the invitation that gives us. This morning we're going to be covering uh, Matthew 7, uh, 7 to 11. And, and as we saw with our reading, this is a passage that is traditionally talked about as the ask, seek, knock passage. And we are going to talk about asking and seeking and knocking. But I've actually titled the sermon today, Approaching Our Good, Good Father. Because as I have dwelt in these verses, in this teaching of Jesus, I have noticed that rather than this being a command to ask and to seek and to knock, it's more of an invitation to approach our good, good Father with honesty, earnestness and courage. And we're going to unpack what that looks like and why I've come to that conclusion this morning. So far in this series, we have seen that at the core of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and indeed in all of his earthly ministry, was the idea that God's kingdom is here already but not yet. It says in, in Matthew 4 verse 17, from that time onwards, that is from the time Jesus began his public earthly ministry, he began to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is what he did throughout the entirety of his earthly ministry and absolutely in this Sermon on the Mount. So far in this series we have seen that Jesus unpacks what the kingdom of God and God himself looks like in this teaching and provides an invitation for us as his followers to be a part of this already but not yet reality. He talks about a kingdom where God is close to those who would by earthly standards be considered far away, as we saw in the Beatitudes. He describes a kingdom where the state of our heart really matters. A kingdom where trust in God's provision overcomes greed, fear and worry. And a kingdom where the weight of judgment is not on our shoulders, but rather we are given an invitation an opportunity to grow into the people we were created to be and embrace the very best way of living as outlined by the creator of our very lives. I mean, what a kingdom to be a part of. Our verse today reads, our passage today reads, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Since having children, these verses, and in particular verses 9 to 11, have taken on a new depth of meaning for me. I now know what it is to have a child who I have played a part in creating, who I love more than I thought it was possible to love, who I desperately want to give good gifts and to see live their best lives. But I also am familiar with the disappointment, tears and even tantrums that come when my boy's perspective on what is best for them differs from mine. When from their point of view, 
I am not providing what they want, but from where I stand, with an extra 30 years experience plus some, I can see that I'm acting for their best. I've heard this passage interpreted in a couple of ways and I want to sort of, I guess, debunk two of these uh, because I fear that taken out of context, they can lead to disappointment, anger and disillusionment with God and with ourselves. The first is the vending machine interpretation, which says, it says, ask and it will be given to you. So all I need to do is ask God for my brand new car and I will get it or whatever it might be, maybe not a new car, but something else. And what happens is we come to God and we ask for what we want, for what from our perspective we think is for our best, but maybe from God's perspective is not. And when we don't get it, we feel angry, we feel upset, we feel lied to because doesn't it say, didn't Jesus say, ask and it will be given to you? I asked but I didn't receive, I sought but I didn't find, I knocked and the door didn't open. So I conclude... God either is not for me, he is against me, or he's not as powerful as he says he is. Trigger disappointment, disillusionment and anger and that is not what I believe this passage is about. The other way I have heard this passage interpreted is what I'm going to call the ye of little faith interpretation, which says you didn't receive when you asked because you didn't have enough faith. You asked the wrong way. The Bible says ask and you receive, so if you didn't receive, the problem is with you. Well, I know and I'm sure we all know people who as, as the best as they have known how, with as much faith as they can muster, they have asked for something, whether it's healing for a friend or breakthrough in a relationship and despite everything they've been able to do in their human power, they haven't seen it come, at least not in the way they were hoping for. I do not believe this passage means that those people do not have faith or are not loved by God. I do not believe this passage suggests that if you ask and you don't receive, there's something wrong with you. I believe this passage is an invitation for us to approach God, but not a declaration of our inadequacy when we don't receive what we want when we approach God. Consider again the context that Jesus is teaching this. Remember, he was painting a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like and declaring that it is at hand, providing an invitation for us to join in this already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. He closes this section by saying, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He paints a picture of God, the creator of the universe, the Almighty, as a good father who loves us, who wants what is best for us. And so the revelation of the kingdom of God in this passage is this. We have a good, good father who loves us, who wants what is best for us, who is for humanity, who is for you. Now, it can be easy to doubt this at times. And sometimes it's a choice to believe this. But if we do not start with the fundamental truth that God is for us, that he loves us, 
we cannot truly enter the invitation for a relationship that he has for us. To believe deep in our core and stand in the truth that God is for us, that he is a good, good father, sets us up to be able to approach him with honesty, with earnestness and with courage, which is the invitation Jesus gives us in this passage. It's the foundation for the kind of relationship that God wants us to have as part of his kingdom. As is often the case, Jesus gives an invitation to be part of the kingdom. He says with his model, ask. You have a good father, so ask. You have a good father, so seek. You have a good father, so knock. I don't believe this is a series of commands. You must ask, you must seek, you must knock. It's an invitation. You have a good father, so ask him. Seek a response from him. You ought to expect a response from this good father because he is for you. This brings us back to the ask, seek and knock, to approach God with honesty, earnestness and courage, standing in the truth that he loves us, that he is for us. I just want to take a moment to consider how absolutely revolutionary this idea is. That the creator of the universe loves us like a father would love his children, a good father would love his children. That he wants to give us good things, that he wants what is best for us that he actually invites us to ask him for what we need and what we want. He suggests that we can seek and ought to expect a response from him when we do that. Compare this to the other god, little g-gods and goddesses that the Romans and Greeks worshipped around the time that Jesus delivered this message. These gods and goddesses were not for humanity. Let's be clear. They were often against humanity, or if not... They just didn't care about what happened to humanity. And they wanted sacrifice and appeasement. Often to the pain and hurt of humanity. But not the true God. He is for humanity. Those he created, he loves. You could never truly approach those little g-gods and goddesses with the honesty and authenticity that we are invited to approach the one true God with. Because we can only approach the one true God with that honesty and authenticity if we truly believe and stand in the truth that he is a good father who loves us, who will take whatever we say and act for our best. Knowing that we have a good, good father then sets us up to step into the invitation that Jesus gives us. He invites us. He says God is a good father. He wants what is best for us. And from that foundation... He invites us to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives. The Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. It's not a vending machine. It's not a promise that whatever you ask for, you will get. It's saying that you will receive from God when you ask him. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I have felt disappointed and angry and even sort of just uncomfortable in my relationship with God, but often when I stop and think about it, it's because either I don't know what it is that I want or once I knuckle down to what it is I want, I realise I've actually never asked God for that. I've actually never articulated. I'm just angry because, well, just because, really. Um, And I have found that learning to recognise what it is I actually want and need and how to ask for it is really important. It's more important for me, really, than anything else. We could say, well, isn't God the creator of the universe? Shouldn't he already know what I want? Why does he want me to ask for it? 
shouldn't he just know? But the asking is less about him and more about us. There is something powerful that happens when we stop and articulate and with humility and I say, you know, I actually think I just need this. I just need your provision. I just need you to give me the words to say. This is true in our earthly relationships too. And it was one of the lessons, really fundamental lesson I learned early in our marriage. One of the closest earthly relationships I have. There were a few times early in our marriage where I found myself frustrated over minor things. Gavin didn't do something or he didn't say something or I missed something. And then one day I stopped and I had this epiphany. I realised Gavin loves me and he's for me. And in fact, he has never willfully not done something I have asked of him unless there was a really good reason. And in fact, the things that I'd been frustrated about were not things I had asked him to do. They were things that I somehow thought he should read my mind about. And when I'm honest, they were either impossible or unreal. How could I expect my husband to read my mind? And I realised that that was a completely unfair presumption to put on Gavin. And how, like, to be frustrated at him because he didn't read my mind was, was not uh, terribly fair. And in fact, it has been transformative for me to say, you know what, sometimes I just need to say, you know what I need? I just need you to do this for me if you can. And I have not been disappointed because I have a husband who is for me, who wants what's best for me, and when I ask him for what I need, unless there's a really, really good reason, he delivers. Sometimes the very process of discovering what it is that we actually want or need is a part of our journey to receiving the answer. So if you're struggling and you're feeling like God is not answering you, may I first suggest that you start with the basis and from the foundation that we have a good father who wants what is best for us, to choose to trust him in that. And then ask with honesty and as much specificity as you can for what you need because that may just be the first step in the journey. Jesus says, seek and you will find. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks knocks. There is an action and anticipation and earnestness in seeking. Seeking is not something, you know, if we ask and then we move on, we're not actually seeking, we're just moving on. It means we actively seek God's provision, inspiration and transformation. In our PM services every week, we spend a bit of time sharing God's stories. We sit in circles and we talk about where we have seen God's provision, inspiration and transformation throughout the week. And we do this because we want and need to practice doing this regularly. Because when we learn to see where God is at work, we learn to hear his voice. We learn to recognise him. And in that, we actively seek him every day. When I was about probably five or six, I remember going to a market with my grandmother. And I had this little trinket ring, but it was very important to me at the time. And I lost it at this market. And I was devastated, as any six-year-old girl would be when they'd lost their trinket ring. And I remember my grandmother, this wonderful woman of faith, saying to me, Megan, when I lose something, I find it helps to pray about it. So that right there in the middle of this marketplace, my grandma and I, we prayed about my lost ring. And in my six-year-old anticipation, once I'd said amen, I spun around looking for his answer. And this ring flung out of my hair and onto the ground in front of me. Now, that might sound like a really childish story, but for me, that was a demonstration of what childlike faith looks like. 
And had I not sought the answer with that earnestness, that ring would not have flung out and I would have remained disappointed until I'd finally brushed my hair that night. But I saw God's provision because I sought it with earnesty as a six-year-old girl. We need to take time and practice to learn to hear God's voice. Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, after talking about being a good shepherd, it says that the Jews who were gathered around him uh, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify to me. And Jesus is doing amazing miracles. He's doing everything that the prophets had predicted he would do. But these Jews had closed their eyes to it. They were not seeking. You do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It takes practice to learn to hear God's voice. I know I still need a lot of practice. I wonder if you've ever found yourself disappointed or disillusioned because you feel God is inactive or silent. If that's the case, I want to challenge you this morning. Have you been taking his invitation to seek him, to practice looking every day for his provision, inspiration, transformation? As with asking, we need to start from the foundation that God is a good father who wants what's best for us, that we can actually expect him to be at work and then go looking for it, actively seeking it. Jesus issues an invitation after inviting us to ask of our good, good father and to seek of our good, good father, to knock. He says, knock and the door will be open to you. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. Sometimes we can ask God for direction and we can do our best to seek. But there's no final clarity. Does that mean that God doesn't care or that we don't have enough faith? I do not believe so. Remember, we're starting from the base truth that God is a good, good father who wants what's best for us. If it's a question of direction or next step, Jesus gives us this clue in how to approach this in the kingdom of God. He says, ask with honesty, seek with earnestness, and then with courage, knock. Sometimes we need to take a step of faith, weighing up the options, using the reason and intuition that God has given us, a part of his provision, and knock on a door. Sometimes when we do this, we might find that a door is firmly closed and realise that we need to change course. Or sometimes we'll find that the door is open. Or sometimes we'll find that the door is closed, but we get a sense that it's not closed forever. When Gav and I were dating and engaged, I had a real sense that God might be calling me to mission, cross-cultural mission in some way. Gavin had never been overseas. I'd been on a couple of mission trips, both as a little girl with my family and then throughout my medical training. And so we prayed about it long and hard as we were engaged because we were certain God wanted us together. We just didn't know what this cross-cultural mission would look like in that mix. And so after a lot of praying, we didn't know the answer and we decided that we would go and knock on a door. So a month after we got married, we went to Nepal on a short-term mission trip and we went specifically to engage with this group mission there. I worked at the hospital. Gav worked with young kids and in youth ministry there. It was a great experience and as we were there, we prayed and we sought and while we were there, we knocked on this door and much to my dismay, God said, this door is closed and I was devastated. So we went back to Melbourne 
As that door to Nepal closed, he opened in my heart a door to mission in the everyday in Melbourne for at least this period. The answer was, Nepal, not, not now, but Melbourne, yes. This is what I have for you. So we went back to Melbourne and we spent the next six and a half, seven years there continuing to ask and to seek and to knock and to walk through little doors as they opened along the way, all the while me unrested in my spirit going, well, what about this cross-cultural call? Did I hear that wrong all those years ago? And then a number of years later, we had a whole lot of things line up that meant that we thought maybe Alice Springs is what God is calling us to. In our asking and our seeking, this came up almost out of the blue. And we came to Alice Springs to knock on the door. And in this case, the door was closed, but it didn't feel locked. And we sort of said to God, well, if you want us to come here, this is what we're going to need to know that this is your call. And we essentially put it out there without asking anything. We said, you're going to need to show us this. Twelve months later, almost without us asking, we had a phone call and an email and the door flung wide open. And here we are, confident that we are in the centre of God's will for me doing the cross-cultural mission that I always felt I was called to. And as I look back, all those little doors along the way, all that asking, saying, you know, with God's provision, with his direction, I didn't see it at the time because I couldn't, but now I do. It wasn't as if this was a one-day retreat where we set aside 24 hours and we asked and we sought and we knocked and we suddenly knew what our next 10 years looked like. It's been a daily process and it continues even now while we're here. Every day, asking, seeking, knocking, walking through the doors when they open, looking for his signs of leading and direction. Because as I look back, what I see is the provision of a loving father who knows us, who knows, knew what was best for us and has led us in that way. And now we're here, we continue that journey every day, asking for his direction, seeking where is it worth, when we feel called to test something, knocking on the door, all the while trusting and staying anchored in the truth that our God is a good, good father who wants what is best for us. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to reread this passage with me together. I know we don't often do corporate readings here, but I think that would be a good way to finish um, our teaching time this morning. Um, and as we do this, I want to ask you to consider what it is that you feel you need from God at present. Direction, clarity, call, provision. And I wonder which of these things it is that you need to focus on as you approach God in this. Maybe it is that you need to make a choice to stand in the truth that he's a good, good father, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. That you can trust him because he is for you. Maybe it is that you need to clarify what it is that you actually want or need and approach God with authenticity and honesty as you ask him for that. Maybe it is that you need to practice seeking him, learning his voice and looking for his answers. Or maybe it is that you need to take a step of courage and knock on a door to see if it's open. I invite you to read this passage with me as we reflect. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? 
And if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a good father, that we can approach you just as we are, knowing, as you say, we who are evil, broken people. We can approach you knowing that you are for us, that you love us. Help us, God, to have the honesty to approach you with what we need. Help us, Father, to learn to hear your voice. And give us the courage when we need to take a step of faith and knock on a door. And give us a discernment when we get there, Lord, to hear your words. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good Father. May we deepen our spirit know that and live out of that truth with courage and joy every day. Amen. I invite the worship team back up. <laughs>